Our Old Testament reading is from the book of Isaiah. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear, no eye has seen a God besides you, who acts for those who wait for him. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. Behold, you were angry and we sinned, in our sins, we have been a long time, and shall we be saved? We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. The word of the Lord. Sorry. <laughs> The word of the Lord. Okay. Our New Testament reading is from 1 Corinthians. Paul, called by the will of God to be apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you are called into the fellowship of his Son, Christ Jesus our Lord. The word of the Lord. This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Mark. Jesus said, But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send the angels out and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson, 
as soon as its branches become tender and puts out its leaves, you know summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going into, on a journey, and when he leaves home, he puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midday, or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to all, I say to you, stay awake. The Gospel of the Lord. What a good word to begin a sermon on. Stay awake. Um, uh, with that, let's pray. Father, we thank you. You have gathered us um, this morning. We're thankful to be here. We're thankful for this season of the year. Lord, we pray that you would um, teach us through your spirit, through your word, um, through um, the, the witness of your church. Lord, grow us, we pray, as your sons and daughters. And we ask all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. And you can be seated. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Have you prayed uh, that prayer? Uh, maybe not exactly um, in those exact words. Perhaps the spirit of that prayer, though, um, you can resonate with. Lord, right? rend the heavens and come down. Perhaps as you read the news, as you reflect on yet another um, act of violence, act of um, losing loss of life um, in our world, in our country, as you reflect on some new act of injustice, uh, perhaps you have prayed that, Lord, come down. Lord, show yourself. Or perhaps in some experience of suffering, of some experience of loss on your part, or as you've watched someone else you love go through suffering, or maybe even you've watched from, a par from afar someone you don't even know that well go through suffering. You've prayed out that prayer, Lord, rend the heavens, right? Come down, show yourself. Or perhaps as you've experienced division or um, destruction in your relationships and your family and your community, again, maybe seeing others go through that destruction. You've prayed out, Lord, God of peace, right? Prince of peace, come down, rend the heavens and come down. We're in the season of Advent, this first Sunday of Advent. Advent is a season that is marked by longing. It is marked by this cry to the Lord. Lord, show yourself. We heard it in that song we just sung. We want more, Lord. We want more. We are longing for you. Season of Advent has sort of a dual focus to it. In one sense, we are remembering those people of God who are waiting upon the Messiah. Right? We're not pretending that Jesus has not come. We know he has come. We know he is our Messiah. But in a sense, we're putting ourselves in the place of those people of God who waited for the Messiah to come. We're remembering what would it be like to be longing for the coming of the Messiah. But then we also remember we too are longing for the coming of the Messiah, for his return, for his second coming. 
And so there's a focus, yes, on remembering the first coming of Jesus and longing for the second coming. Right, as Fleming Rutledge, a uh, uh, teacher, pastor, uh, says, Advent ultimately is not about the coming of Christmas, although that's okay if we're excited about the coming of Christmas, but it's about the coming of God. Right, that is the focus of Advent. And so we cry out, Lord, please come, rend the heavens and come down. And Advent really is a season in some ways I find that we can articulate that longing that we feel throughout the year, right? At least I think many of us can resonate with that, right? That, that sense of longing, that sense of wanting more, right? That again, sometimes is hard to even name, right? Maybe you felt it at times in moments of great celebration, of great joy, where you've had this celebration, you've had this sense of fulfillment, and yet you also kind of had this little sense of, why am I still wanting more, Right, this dream that I've been longing for has come true, right? This great blessing I've experienced, and yet I find myself still sort of unsatisfied. Maybe, again, it's been hard to name. Why do I still have this unease? And again, Advent names that for us. It's because we're still longing for the Lord to return. We're praying, come, Lord Jesus. We're in no way underestimating all that he has done for us, his grace, his work in our life, his presence with us. But we are saying, rightly so, Lord, we want more. We long for the fullness of resurrection, the resurrection of our bodies, the resurrection of the heavens and the earth. I'm struck, actually, as I studied this Isaiah uh, passage um, this week, that when you um, look at Isaiah 64, even in sort of in the, in, uh, where it sits in the book of Isaiah, right, it comes after Isaiah 40 through 55, which are often quoted and sort of in the book of Isaiah have this incredible uh, focus on the restoring power of the Lord. Right? Isaiah 40 begins, comfort, comfort my people. We'll read it um, next week in our service. Right? And again, Isaiah 40 through 55 in multiple ways speaks to the promises of God and his restoring work. It speaks to a people right, who have been in exile and promising them the Lord will bring you out of exile and will settle you back into your home. Right? It speaks to a suffering servant who will come and will bear the very sins of the people, the sinful people, upon himself. Right? And so you have this powerful picture of salvation and God's mercy. And yet, Isaiah 64 comes before Isaiah 65, obviously, right? where we have this beautiful picture of the new heavens and the new earth, of death being completely swallowed up and there being new creation. And that's where we find ourselves, right? In no way, again, not celebrating the powerful saving work of the Lord, but saying there's more. And we are longing for the fullness of salvation, right? Even though we have been saved, we also are being saved, and we look forward to fully being saved when he comes again. And so it's a time where we cry out to the Lord, rend the heavens and come down. And again, it's a time where we can sort of name our longing. What are we longing for? What is this longing that I'm experiencing? And I want to suggest that our Isaiah passage helps us to name that longing. As we hear this prayer of Isaiah inspired by the Holy Spirit, this helps us understand what are we longing for when we cry that cry to the Lord, right? And how does the Lord meet us in that place of longing? And first, we can just see we are longing for his power, right? And stir up your power, O Lord, that you'd rend the heavens and come down that the mountains might quake at your presence. So Isaiah gives us the, the image of just as fire can lead to water boiling, so the presence of God leads, in a sense, to the mountains boiling, to the mountains shaking. And mountains in the scripture are a sign not just of big things, although mountains are big, but they're a sign, actually, of spiritually powerful things. 
right? You see key spiritual moments, key moments of spiritual power taking place in the scriptures on mountains, right? Repeatedly, we, we see that. Sadly, we see at times the Israelites kept going to high places to make offerings to false gods, to idols, right? And so you hear about in First and Second Kings, right? you know, good kings, righteous kings, tearing down the high places, right? Because they believed going up to high places would bring them spiritual power. And so when it talks about the mountains quaking at the presence of God, right, this is an image of God being the greatest spiritual power, right? Even the mountains, right, in his presence quake, right? They, they shudder at his coming. And it is a picture, one, of God making known his presence and his power to adversaries, right? That the nations might tremble your presence, that your name would be known to your adversaries. So certainly there's a sense of the enemies of God, of those who have done evil, of those who have done injustice, right? Being seen or seeing his power, right? And that's a longing, right? May those, again, who resist God have their eyes open to his power. May they see, right, his righteousness and his power over all things and over all creation. But there's also, right, in this prayer, a longing, Lord, we want to see your power because we want our faith built up again, right? We know that the mountains quake at your presence, but we want to experience that. I think in some ways, right, the Lord is saying that's all right, right, to, to long for that, to long to experience his power. Right? And that image, again, of the mountains quaking, it brings back moments um, from Scripture. One key one, right, in Mount Sinai, when the um, Lord, right after he had brought the people out of slavery in Egypt, before they had been brought into the promised land, right, they settle at Mount Sinai, and God comes down on the mountain to give them the Ten Commandments and the law. Right? It says this in Exodus, the description says, Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. And the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled. Right, so clearly, right, Isaiah is recalling that moment, right? And what happened, right? The people heard from the Lord, and they responded, right? They said, all that you say, we will do. They experienced God's power, right? This moment also recalls, right, this image also recalls Mount Carmel, or Elijah, if you remember, in the book of 1 Kings, right, gathers the people together, Right, and he gives a challenge to the priests of Baal, right, these um, uh, worshipers of false gods. Right, and he says, we'll both build altars and we'll ask for the, your, you can pray for your God to come down in power and in fire on your altar. I will pray to my God, to the true God, to come down in fire. Right, the priests of Baal build the altar. Right, they pray out to Baal all day and nothing happens. And then Elijah builds the altar. And he prays out to God and fire is poured out. And what happens, right, when the power of God is seen, right? Many of the people repent, right? Those who have followed Baal realize we have been following a false God. We should worship the true God. And since Isaiah is saying, like, I want to see that now. I want to see people turning away from false gods and turning to the true God. And so there is an element, again, caught up in that um, stir up your power song. I was singing that. I was thinking, we could just sing the song over and over again, right? Because in many ways, it's my sermon, right? Lord, what you once did, do again. That's, again, the cry of Isaiah, right? You've shown your power, right? Show it now. And that's our cry in Advent. Lord, you came. Return. Come again. We long for your return. I think there's a way in which when Jesus says, stay awake, right? He's saying, stay in that place of longing. Stay in that place of eager anticipation, right? Stay awake is a call to obey, certainly. But, right, we grow in obedience, right, as we long, as we anticipate, as we turn, as we pray, right? Lord, come, 
Lord. Come and, and bring the new heavens and new creation. Right? And um, a surprising truth, though, in the scriptures is we experience his power, actually, in our weakness. Right? Jesus said that to the Apostle Paul. We hear, read that in 2 Corinthians, right? In your weakness, right, my power is made perfect. And so we read here, right, in verse, the end of verse 4, right, who acts, speaking of the Lord, who acts for those who wait for him. And waiting, right, is actually being in a place of weakness, right? As we wait on the Lord, right, we're acknowledging our weakness, and actually in that place of weakness, we experience his power. And his power is shown. His power is actually demonstrated. So even as we long for the Lord's power, right, we remember, right, we wait upon him. A classic sort of Christmas waiting moment that I'm sure many of you experience, maybe your children experience, is waiting for parents on Christmas Day, right? And there are all sorts of traditions. And in our family, the tradition was that we couldn't go downstairs in the living room where all the presents were and where everything was bright and happy um, until my parents said so, right? And so again, in my memory, right, we're sitting cold at the top of our stairs, right, in the darkness while we can see sort of a light downstairs and hear our parents hear, you know, Perry Como or Burl Ives or whatever on the, on the record player um, wafting up, right? And it's torturous, Right? And we're calling out, please, right? let us come down. Right? We're waiting. Right? And every year I feel like, it was probably only one year, but every year I feel like my mom would lose a contact lens. And back then, contact lenses were like gold. Right? You couldn't just get another contact lens. You had to find that lens. And so we'd be crying out. Right? And so again, there was torture in that, but there was also joy in it. Right? Because we knew the moment was going to come when our parents said, come down. Right? And we'd enter into the light. <laughs> right? I mean, that we knew that moment was coming. And we trusted our parents. Right? And we knew we're dependent on them. Right? We're children, right? That's part of our identity. And to wait on the Lord is to say, this is part of my identity, right? The Lord is worth waiting for. I can trust him in waiting, right? We hate waiting. It makes us feel weak, right? We see our weakness in waiting. I think the Lord actually says, that's good, right? That's actually why I work in waiting. That's why actually you're strengthened as you wait on the Lord, because you're aware of your weakness. You're aware of your dependence, right? Again, I don't like waiting um, either, but I believe actually there is power that we experience in our waiting. So we're longing for his power, but we're also longing for vindication. And again, we see that very clearly. May your enemies see your power. And it's right that we wait for vindication. It's right that we long for justice. It's right that we long that righteousness would be seen as being right. Verse five, you meet him who joyfully works righteousness. Those who remember you in your ways. And so we long, right, for, for what is right to be seen and to be demonstrated. Right? But in that longing for vindication, we should be clear that ultimately that's a longing that God would be vindicated, that his ways would be vindicated, right? And so I think it's significant that Isaiah quickly moves from those verses about vindication to acknowledging, right, his own and the people's sinfulness, which I'll say more about in just a moment. Right? But I just share that to say as we feel that longing for vindication and to be vindicated, it's perhaps helpful for us to say, Lord, where am I rightly longing for vindication? And where am I longing, you know, more for me to be vindicated? Where it's not so much about you, right? Where do my daydreams go, right? It's about everyone seeing that I was right, right? And they were wrong. Or is it actually seeing that the Lord was right? All right, these um, words uh, from the uh, Christmas hymn, I heard the bells on Christmas day. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to men. That's our longing for vindication, that the right would prevail, 
that all would see the right, including ourselves, where we are wrong, that we would see rightness. But again, when we feel that longing, Lord, I want the truth to shine out, that's a good thing, right? We can ask the Lord, Lord, may that desire for vindication, right, sort of aim it in the right place. Aim it in the right direction, Lord, as I long for that. And finally, we see, right, that we long for the Lord's mercy. We long for his forgiveness, for his love. We see that so powerfully. Again, that's kind of striking, right? That Isaiah speaks of the righteousness of those who joyfully work righteousness, but then boom, all of a sudden he says, behold, you were angry and we sinned. And in our sins, we have been a long time and shall we be saved? I sort of wonder, you know, as he's, I'm thinking about Mount Sinai, as he's thinking about God coming down in power, maybe he's also remembering, man, it wasn't long after that. It wasn't long after the people said, whatever you say we will do, that they were worshiping an idol, that they were worshiping a golden calf. And that Isaiah is reminded, right, even as he um, celebrates that righteousness will be upheld and ultimately vindicated, that he's aware of his own and his people's lack of righteousness. And again, in Advent, we don't pretend um, that we haven't been forgiven of our sins. We don't forget the Lord's grace and his mercy and his forgiveness but it is a season of repentance. It's sort of like a mini Lent, right? Lent, there's a strong emphasis on repentance, right? In Advent, we have more of an emphasis on longing, but it has the same color um, as Lent, at least in our tradition it does, because those two seasons are connected, right? It's a time where we remember, even as we're longing for the Lord to come and to deal fully with the sinfulness of this world, that we're part of that sinfulness. We've been forgiven, right? But we need the ongoing restoration, restoring work of the Lord. We need his ongoing help. We need his strength to turn away from sin. And Isaiah here just speaks so powerfully um, in the hard way, but a way worth us taking to heart just on the effects of sin. We all have become like one who is unclean. Oh, wait, or before that, behold, you're angry. We sinned, and in our sins, we have been a long time. And so he acknowledges, right, just the, the pervasiveness of sin and the, the sticking power of sin. Right? It's affected all of us, and it's affected us all for a very long time. We have all become like one who is unclean. All our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. So he's acknowledging right? sin spoils things. Even our righteous deeds, which are good and good to do, are affected by sin. Right? They're undermined by the power of sin. And, and we all fade like a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. Sin is destructive. Again, oftentimes that cry, Lord, would you rend the heavens and come down, is sometimes coming out of our own right, struggle with sin, with our own falling into patterns of temptation and the ways that we're affected by the sins of others. And again, we know the Lord's grace, we know his forgiveness, but we continue to cry out, Lord, free me from the effects of sin. Now we get to verse 7, we may say, you know, Isaiah says, there's no one who calls upon your name who rouses himself to take hold of you. But we would say, well, yes, there is, right? Isaiah's calling upon the Lord's name. But I think he's acknowledging there, one, right, that sin actually can even dampen our seeking of forgiveness, right? That the power of sin actually fills us full of shame, so they'll actually stop turning to the Lord, right? So we need his intervention, we need his power, because our eyes can become blinded, actually, to his mercy and his love, I know folks, right, who have been caught up in sinful patterns that it's like they have to be reminded, the Lord forgives you, right? If you ask him, he will forgive and pour out his mercy upon you. But I think Isaiah there is also acknowledging, right, even in our crying out to God, 
Really, that's God's work, right? Not that we don't cry out to him, but ultimately we realize God is always the initiator, right? He is the one who has drawn us to himself. So as, as we cry out to him, we can celebrate, ah, that's a response to what the Lord has done on my behalf. While I was still dead in my sins, Christ died for me. So even in my crying out, right, I can acknowledge that's his work, right, drawing me to himself. So then we have, right, in verse 8, this powerful picture, right, but Lord, you are our father. We are the clay, and you are the potter, our potter. We are all the work of your hand. And so you have in that one verse, right, the, the grandness of God, the power of God, Right? He's the potter, we're the clay. We are all the work of his hands. He's the creator, right? we're the creatures, but he's also our father. He is the one who makes the mountains tremble, but he is the one who's close to us. Right? This is also captured right, in a, a line from the song um, that our team will be singing um, at the offertory that our, uh, our own Tyler Stitt wrote. This line that you'll hear sung in just a few minutes, the one who made the sun waits with you in the darkness. What a powerful picture, right, of God who created all things and yet is with each one of us right, in the times of darkness when we were waiting for him. A number of years ago, I was on a, a camping trip uh, with my um, a son and a friend of his and the uh, father um, of the uh, friend of my son's, who's also my friend. Uh, so the four of us were on this uh, camping trip, um, and uh, I got a call um, and found out that a friend of mine, who was a, a friend of our church, was connected uh, to this uh, church, I just experienced an incredible uh, tragedy. Um, his daughter had been on a bike ride and been hit by a car. Um, and uh, I was told things are very serious. I went to the hospital, and sadly, just um, not long after I got there, the daughter passed away. So I was with him and his family, other members of Church of the Cross were there for a number of hours. Um, and eventually, I got back to the campsite, but it was very late by that point. I assumed I'd be coming back to a you know, darkened campsite or just kind of crawl into the tent and go to sleep. Um, and my friend had stayed awake uh, for hours, uh, waiting for me. And we only talked probably about 10 minutes. He just wanted to see how he was doing. He just wanted to pray with me and pray together uh, for this uh, man and for his family at the loss of their daughter, right? But that staying awake, I'll never forget it. It was such a picture of friendship and care and concern right, that he stayed awake. And so the Lord who says to us, stay awake, he stays awake with us. Right? He's with us in the darkness. So even as we wait on him, we wait with him. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that you would actually increase our longing. Lord, even um, as it can times be painful to acknowledge right, our, our deep need for you and our longing for more. Lord, may you increase that. May you increase the, the cry of our hearts. And Lord, may you also increase our faith and our trust. That as we long for you, Lord, you are the one who has come and will come again. And Lord, we give you thanks and praise in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.